Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome uh, back to uh, this series. Uh, we're on the session number 29 of uh, this series. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. And it looks like we have one more day, the full 30 days, inshallah, tomorrow uh, will be our last lesson. But today, what I want to discuss is uh, we said we were going to discuss your questions. Uh, but before we get to the questions, we, I just want to discuss one very important point. Uh, regarding um, all the different sciences that can be derived from the Qur'an. All the different sciences that can be inferred from the Qur'an, extrapolated from the Qur'an. And I found this as a very, very interesting discussion. Reason is, uh, if we start off with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala al-mab'uuthi rahmatan lil'alameen Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman Kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says In Surah Al-An'am Verse 38 Ma farratna fil kitabi min shay' We've not left anything out in the book We've not left anything out in the book Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says In Surah Al-Nahl Verse 89 We have revealed to you the book which is a provider of clarity for everything. So these are really, really broad, uh, really, really broad uh, uh, verses with very broad ideas saying that we've not left anything and we have provided a clarification, clarity about everything. Now, what does everything refer to here? What does everything refer to here? Now, let us t look at a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said, There will be trials to come. There will be challenges and trials to come. So somebody asked, okay, what's the escape from these trials? So the Prophet ﷺ said, Kitabullah, fihi naba'u ma qablakum. This is a famous hadith that Imam Tirmidhi has transmitted. The book of Allah, in it is, are the accounts or news of the people before you. It also has the news of those that will come after you or that which will come after you. And it also has the judgment of that which happens between you. That's a very comprehensive hadith. Thereafter, that we have another hadith which Sa'id ibn Mansur has transmitted in his Sunan from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu saying from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu who says Man arad al-ilm fa'alayhi bil-Qur'an If you want knowledge, especially knowledge that matters then you must take the Qur'an, you must look for it in the Qur'an فَإِنَّهُ فِيهِ خَبْرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَالْآخِرِينَ Because in it is the news and accounts of the first and last people Imam Bayhaqi says, يعني أصول العلم What he means by that, Imam Bayhaqi clarifies this statement of Abdullah ibn Masood saying that what he means by that is the fundamental principles of all sciences are found in the Qur'an. Imam Bukhari then has another transmission from Hassan al-Basri, uh, rahimahullah, who says, أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ مِئَةً وَأَرْبَعَةَ كُتُبٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed 104 books, scriptures. 104 scriptures. وَأَوْدَعَ عُلُومَهَا أَرْبَعَةً مِنْهَا 
all the sciences that are contained in those 104 scriptures were all gathered together and placed in four of those major scriptures, the four major scriptures. So the others were smaller epistles, the other ones were bigger, which is the Torah, the Injil, the Zabur, and the Furqan, which is the Quran. Then the knowledge of the first three were all gathered together and combined together in the Furqan, which is the criterion of, which is the Quran. Imam Shafi'i, rahmatullahi alayhi, he says, now I'm just giving you different perspectives, people's perspectives on this, right? Which Imam Suyuti has put together, for example. Jami'u ma taquluhu al-ummah sharhun lil-sunnah wa jami'u sunnati sharhun lil-Qur'an. Everything that the scholars have written, generally what they've written and what they've said, what they've explained, commented on, clarified, is all from the sunnah. It's a commentary of the sunnah. But then what is the sunnah? The Sunnah is a commentary of the Quran. This is from none other than, the, than Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah. He also said he's got quite a few opinions about the Quran. He says, Everything the Prophet has judged, every judgment he made, the Prophet it is something, it has to be something that he understood and comprehend from the Quran. And what proves this, he says, is the Prophet's statement, which is, uh, he says, Inni la uhillu illa ma fi kitabi. This is what the Prophet had said. I do not permit and make lawful anything but that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made lawful in his book. And neither do I make unlawful or render deem unlawful anything but what Allah deems unlawful in his book as well. This is, uh, Imam Shafi has actually transmitted this hadith directly in his Kitabul Um. Thereafter that, Sa'id ibn Jubair, the Tabi'i said, مَا بَلَغَنِي حَدِيثٌ عَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَلَى وَجْهِهِ إِلَّا وَجَدْتُ مِسْتَاقَهُ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ This is an observation that he made. And this is some analysis that he undertook and research that he undertook, this Tabi'i, Sa'id ibn Jubair. He says, anytime any hadith that reached me from the Prophet ﷺ, I was able to find... So while the hadith was quite clear and explicit, I was actually able to find some relevance to it in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I, would, I was able to find some source for it, right? some indication towards it, something to do with it that that renders it true through the Quran as well. Ibn Masood, now these are the scholars of the Quran. Ibn Masood says, if I relate any hadith to you, I can also provide confirmation of that hadith from the book of Allah for you. Ibn Abi Hatim has transmitted this. Imagine that. I mean, he knew the hadith so well and the Quran so well that he could connect the two together and say, this hadith, this is the relevance of this hadith from this Imam Shafi'i also said, never does any kind of challenge, never does any kind of question, an incident occur to anybody with regards to the faith, as long as it's an issue of faith, right? And this is absolutely clear, right? Except that in the book of Allah, they will find some guidance, they will find the guidance and the path to they will find a path to guidance in there, a proof for the path to guidance in there. You'll find an answer in there, essentially. If somebody, if somebody asks that there are many, many rulings that the jurists have promulgated, which stem from the hadith, they've shown that the evidence is actually from the hadith and they've not shown the evidence from the Quran. So how are you saying that everything comes from the Quran? I'm just going to 
you know, deal with a few of these objections that possibly could come about here. So the response to that is, well, at the end of the day, that in reality is also taken from the Qur'an. Because it is the Qur'an which has obligated upon us to follow the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and obligated for us to take what he says. Once Imam Shafi rahimahullah was in Mecca and he said, he, he made an announcement. I mean, look how confident he is, right? Saluni amma shi'tum. Ask me whatever you want. anhu min kitabillah. And I will respond to you about that thing. I will give you a religious response of it from the Quran. So, okay, somebody asked him a question. There's probably scholars who were with him. So they wanted to challenge him. And he says, okay, what do you say regarding a person in ihram, in pilgrim sanctity, right? Who kills a, a bee or a, a hornet, you know, who ki- kills a hornet. He said, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Because they were challenging him that where you're going to find that in the Quran. So immediately he responded, and this is the Surah Al Hashr, verse 7. Whatever the Messenger gives to you, brings to you, provides to you, then you must take it. You must take hold of it. And whatever he prohibits you from, you must abstain from it. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. That's why there's another narration which is related from Sufyan ibn Uyayna, from Hudhayfa ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu, the great Sahabi. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Iqtadu billadhaini min ba'di. Follow, follow the two who are after me. Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhu. Now we didn't know who they were after him, but this is when he said it. He said, follow the two that will come after me. Abi Bakr and Umar. Actually, he said Abu Bakr and Umar, sorry. He actually did say that. There's So, Imam Shafi is actually continuing. Imam Shafi says, he gives the verse first. He says, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sorry, whatever the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Surah Al-Hashr, that whatever the messenger gives to you, take it. Whatever he prohibits you from, abstain from it. And then he related this hadith. He said, Sufyan ibn Uyayna related to us from Abdul Malik ibn Umair, from Rabi'i ibn Hirash, from Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, that the Prophet sallallahu said, you need to follow those, the two that will come after me, Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu We have also been transmitted, he says, from Sufyan, from Mis'ad ibn, uh, ibn, ibn Kidam, or Qudam, and Qais ibn Muslim, from Tariq ibn Shihab, from Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, that he said, Amara biqatlil muhrimi az-zumbur, that he commanded that the muhrim, the person in pilgrimage, can kill the uh, can kill the hornet. So what he's done essentially, he's saying that Umar radiallahu anhu is the one who gave this judgment. So it's from Umar radiallahu anhu. Umar radiallahu anhu is vouchsafed, right? And he is fully approved by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, adhere to what the two after me say, Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu. Why should we listen to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said it, that whatever the Messenger gives to you. So the Messenger said this, that, Umar, that you need to follow the two after me, Abu Bakr and Umar. So if Umar said it, you, you must do that as well. I've pro- proven it from the Quran. Imam Bukhari then has another hadith from Ibn Masood who says that uh, Abdullah Ibn Masood in this famous hadith, many of you will know about it. لَعَنَ اللَّهُ الْوَاشِمَاتُ وَالْمُتَوَشِّمَاتُ وَالْمُتَنَمِّصَاتُ وَالْمُتَفَلِّجَاتُ لِلْحُسْنِ الْمُغَيِّرَاتِ خَلْقَ اللَّهِ This is the hadith which prohibits um, chiseling 
and uh, you can say filing the teeth, it um, um, plucking the the eyebrows, and those kind of things. It's uh, it's about cosmetics, right? That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has cursed these people, right? So this is a hadith. Now there was a woman from the Banu Asad. This knowledge, uh, this hadith reached her, right? And uh, she said to Abdullah ibn Masud radiAllahu anhu. That uh, Now she's not listening. She's saying that I've heard that you, you know, have uh, cursed such and such a women. You know, such and such women who do this. So he says, Why shouldn't I uh, repeat the curse uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, had, sorry, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the same people who the Prophet sallallahu has cursed, why don't I, you know, what's wrong with me cursing them? While it's also found in the book of Allah. Now she seemed to know what she's talking about in the sense she'd read the Quran. She says, I've read the Quran. I've read the Quran and I've not found between the two covers, I've not found anywhere what you say. So she couldn't find, you know, what do you call it? Um, making, uh, filing the teeth and plucking and um, tattooing and all of this kind of stuff. She couldn't find it in, uh, in the Quran. So that's what she said. So Abdullah ibn said to her, if you really read it properly, right, you would have found it in there. Haven't you read the verse of Surah Al-Hashr? وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ She said yes. So the Prophet is the one who's prohibited from it. I'm not the one prohibited. It's the Prophet prohibited from it. And Allah says in the Quran that you must take whatever the Prophet said. So it's in the Quran as well. So then we have um, Ibn Suraqa. He's related from Abu Bakr, Ibn Mujahid. That he once said on one day, مَا شَيْءٌ فِي الْعَالَمِ إِلَّا هُوَ فِي Now this is getting a bigger claim. There is nothing in the universe except that it is to be found in the book of Allah. Everything in the universe is to be found in the book of Allah. So somebody just challenged him probably randomly. Like imagine somebody said that to you and say, okay, where's uh, football mentioned in the Quran? You know, I can just imagine somebody asking that. So somebody asked him, he said, where's Khanat? Where are they mentioned in the Quran? A Khan... It's basically the old name, the Turkic name, for started from the Seljuks, I think, right? Of um, these roadside motel kind of places, uh, lodges, lodges that travelers, and that's what the Seljuks had actually done in their, uh, you know, in their areas that uh, there was at certain intervals they would have where you would go in there and get free meals and you could stay there and then and then if you wanted to stay there for longer you would you would have to pay. So that's a khan. Where is that mentioned in the Quran? Right. So, uh, this Abu Bakr ibn Mujahid, he said, yes, it's mentioned, look at this, it's mentioned in um, Surah An-Nur, verse 29, لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَدْخُلُوا بُيُوتًا غَيْرَ مَسْكُونَةٍ فِيهَا مَتَاعٌ لَكُمْ Subhanallah. There, there's no problem for you. See, the, these are the verses in Surah An-Nur which discuss taking permission and uh, the laws of privacy and, and so on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that obviously, you know, you, you need to knock and you need to ask. You need to get permission, essentially. But if it's a house, if it's, if it's a room, if it's an abode, if it's a place, there is no harm on you entering a place that in which is not lived in, right? Because it's a public place. It's a public 
area it's not a place where somebody's going to sleep and so on in which you have your in which you have your luggage right so that 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 could be referring to khanat he said wallahu alam ibn barrajan said that everything the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam stated it's going to be found in the quran in the sense that if it's not explicitly there then its foundation will be there its principle in there whether you know you can understand it very easily or otherwise right and anybody who's going to because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a commentator of the quran so everything he said must be found at some level in the quran and but some sometimes you just have to make more effort to perceive where exactly he's taken it from directly right and allah will open it up accordingly others said it differently they said that anything that everything you can somehow infer from the quran for, and especially for those who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given understanding and i've seen this i've read number of different books or or not the entire book but you'll see a point mentioned by somebody and he's extracting that from the quran and you like wow how did you get that i mean it makes sense but i would never have thought of it myself so that has happened to such a degree that you know and the, the, again all of this are uh, all of this is considered extrapolations they're not f- directly from the quran sunnah the person telling you to do it this way or that way or that this is the meaning that you get from it so it's going to be ijtihadi somebody might agree somebody might disagree with that but it's whatever allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up for you it's not going to be obviously an evidence for anybody else but you know uh, that's fine if it works for you it works for you to such a degree that some people have also inferred the death age of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam from the quran how did they do that well there's a verse in surah al-munafiqun right which is the 63rd surah of the quran okay it's verse 11 of surah al-munafiqun idha ja'aka al-munafiqun qalu nashhadu innaka lar-rasulullah the verse number is 11 walan yu'akhkhirallahu nafsan idha ja'a ajaluha allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not then delay and send back when the, a person's date comes for death. So saying that this is the 63rd surah of the Quran. Now, so what? There are other surahs in the Quran in which it's mentioned, it's mentioned that when a person's death comes, then you know, it will not be delayed or it will not be brought forward. There's many verses in the Quran that say that in many surahs. So why? what's so special about this particular instance? It says the reason is that the next surah after this is Surah Al-Taghabun. Taghabun refers to loss, right? Taghabun refers to loss. So the idea is that 63 years of age, after that which you're going to lose the Prophet ﷺ from this world. Now, do I have to accept that? No, not necessarily, but it's interesting. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to accept it, but it's interesting. But they're not all like this. I mean, this one might sound a bit far-fetched to, uh, to somebody, but this is kind of an extreme one. 
but there's a lot of others which make so much sense. Like, wow, when you read the tafsirs and the different tafsirs and their unique features is that each one of these tafsirs, they may compile from others and quote from others, but then they'll provide their own understanding and their very unique understandings that they provide sometimes that nobody else has mentioned before. Now, I'm going to just quickly take you through um, an excursion of how Every science of the deen for sure comes from the Qur'an. Every science of the deen comes from the Qur'an and how they've taken it, how then the Qur'an has branched out into all of these different sciences, right? And then we can also give you an idea of many, many other aspects of the world which are also found in the Qur'an, but maybe more briefly. So, Ibn, al-Fadl, uh, Ibn Abil Fadl al-Mursi says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided in the Qur'an the, the, all the sciences of the early and later people in the sense that it's going to be in there somehow, it's mentioned in there. Now, that is everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, has gathered in there. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then had some aspects uh, to, to clarify and to open up beyond that. And from him, the great elect Sahaba, they inherited from him um, much of the sciences that he propounded because all the hadith they related through the Sahaba so all of that now the Prophet probably didn't reveal every single thing because the Prophet knowledge is much greater than what all the hadith you know we have that's just part of his knowledge the four Khulafa Abdullah ibn Masood Abdullah ibn Abbas that's where generally you get these six names when it comes to you know everything learned from the Quran such that I think it was Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he would say that لَوْ ضَعَلِي إِقَالُ بَعِيدٍ لَوَجَدْتُهُ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ The rope of my camel was to be lost, I would be able to find it through the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, I'm not sure what exactly he means by that, but um, that's what he said. Now, from the Sahaba, especially these main Sahaba, the Tabi'een, right, the successes they inherited from there. But he says they had a lot of knowledge but after that, um, people's aspirations and efforts and knowledge began to weaken, right? They didn't have the same vigor anymore. And that's why they became much, much weaker. And that's why they were unable to continue to carry on with that same amount of knowledge that had been gathered by the Sahaba, understood by the Sahaba and explained by the companions and, and, and the Tabi'een. However, what they did do is they started becoming more focused and specialized. More focused rather. The Sahaba, mashallah, and the Tabi'in, they were specialized in all the sciences. But after that time, you know, give or take, they started becoming more focused on certain sciences or one or two of them or uh, three or four of them, but not necessarily all of them comprehensively like the earlier generations. So, there was one group that started to focus on the language of the Qur'an, meaning on the linguistics of the Qur'an, right? In focusing on the wording and the meanings and the context and everything like that, some focused on where the intonation is done from, how you pronounce the words. So, that's tajweed, for example. Some started focusing on counting the words and the verses and the surahs and the ajza and the quarters and all the rest of it, as we know and started teaching 10-10 verses. Some started focusing on that. Some started 
to look at look for the the mutashabihat verses which are mutashabihat verses which are the ambiguous and which are the cl clear verses and and so on then you had the grammarians they came along and they started to check and now this may sound a bit gibberish for many of you who've not studied arabic but i can't translate all of this but those who understand a bit of Arabic and have done a bit of Arabic grammar will understand. The Nuhat, which means the grammarians came along, they started checking what the Mu'rab and the Mabni was, the nouns were, the, the verbs were, the particles were, and they started discussing all the laws of grammar and everything like that, and the various different morphological forms of, uh, and the etymology of uh, the grammar and everything like that. And then how to write these, how they had to be inscribed, where the Hamza is written, is the Hamza, because Hamza is generally you know, written either completely separately or if it comes in the middle of a word, it's generally written on top of a ya or beneath a ya or whatever. All of that discussion, um, they discuss word by word. So that those people were focused on the grammar. Then you had the Mufassirin, the commentators who came along. They started focusing on the meaning and the message of the Quran. So they, some of them found that this particular word only has one signification and meaning. Others said, no, it's got two meanings. Some said, no, it's got even more than that. And based on that, they based um, you know, their interpretations and so on. They tried to clarify the concealed meanings, the obscure meanings, the confusing uh, aspects of the Quran. They tried to explain all of that, the various possible interpretations. They provided all of that. That's a whole science on its own. We had some discussion about that before. Then after that came the scholars of Usul. Now Usul here means Usuluddin, which means of Aqidah, of theology, of philosophy, of belief system, of ideology. Now they used a number of uh, verses and their rational faculties to provide understanding. For example, the verse in Surah Al-Anbiya, verse 22, that had there been more than one God in the world, besides Allah, if there had been all of these others or whatever, then the, the two would be in chaos by now. They they established from the Quran evidences to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to his existence, to his permanence, to his being without beginning, to his, uh, to his power, to his knowledge, to you know, him being not unlike anything else, and so on and so on. They call this Usuluddin, they call this Aqidah, right? Then after that, you had another group of people, and they looked at all of the verses that related to commanding or prohibiting something, and they extrapolated from them from their usul and principles of uh, how to how, how to legislate about something being permissible or just recommended or uh, or actually obligatory right at, at what level of obligation as well or what level of prohibition whether disliked reprehensible so these people were that uh, they the, and just to give it a temp terminology for those who know right they discussed the the nas the Zahid, the Mujmal, the Muhkam, the Mutashabih, the Amr, the Nahi, the Nasq, and so on and so forth. And that science became Usulul Fiqh, right? Islamic legal theory. That became Usulul Fiqh. That's a whole separate science. Thereafter that, um, there were others who started um, not looking at the overall principles, but started looking at the actual commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in there. And they took from there, and then of course from the hadiths as well, and then they extrapolated this huge body of the halal and haram, right? The good and bad, 
the makru, the and and so on, right? Not just how to extrapolate it, like the people, like the group before the usul fiqh people. They just tell you how to extrapolate. The jurists are the one who actually did the extrapolation, the inference, and they produce these whole bodies of fiqh, like Imam Malik, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi, Imam Ahmed, and many of the others after them as well. This science became known as fiqh or ilmul furu, the ilm of the derived laws. Thereafter, that there's some, there's another group of. Uh, the successors, scholars, who started just focusing on the stories, on the accounts of the people past, right? And the, the nations that have withered away. And they started to um, relate their accounts. And they started to mention all the details and add to it how the dunya started because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the inception of the world and he discusses how things began, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam some the names of everything. This science became the science of history, tarikh and storytelling, right? That, uh, the, the stories of the Quran and tarikh and history. There's other group of people, they started focusing on the subtle indications in the Quran. Those soft, uh, uh, heart softening verses of the Quran, right? That really pull at your cords of your heart, that put, take you on a guilt trip, that make you think and reflect. This, uh, they looked at the verses that promise you uh, things, that promise uh, the insan, that warn the insan, that persuade the insan, that dissuade the insan, in which there's a discussion of death, in which there's a discussion of the hereafter, the day of judgment, the gathering, the reckoning, um, and the punishment, hellfire, paradise, and all of that. And then they, they, they were the preaching scholars who compiled all of these, the, 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 those who preached uh, with this, the khutaba, the wa'adh, uh, the zuhad, they're the ones who took this. There's, every, there's enough in the Quran for all of these people. Thereafter that, there's others who looked at all the different dreams in the Quran. And from this, they developed the science of dream interpretation, like Muhammad ibn Sirin and that. They did this in two ways. Number one, directly taking the dreams that are mentioned in the Quran's dreams. For example, the dream... Uh, by those two people that were in the prison with Yusuf Ali Salam. Yusuf Ali Salam himself, you know, seeing his first dream. Now, Yusuf Ali Salam, his story, his surah is actually, you can probably call it Surah Al Ru'ya as well, because it starts off with his dream. Then, after that, he talks about the two dreams uh, of those two that were with him in prison. One saw uh, the bread being eaten from his head, and the other one saw um, himself serving uh, his master, you know, the drink. And then after that, the king who saw the dream of the seven, uh, you know, the seven barley corns and so on. So those, and then after that, they also took the interpretations from the words in the Quran and what they infer, because the dream, you know, the way you interpret dreams is you take the wording in the Quran, see what they use for the other interpretations, and that is what it could mean, along with a number of others from the sunnah, you know, from the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that's where they took it, right? And how can you... You know, in dream interpretation, you take actually the customary meaning sometimes, okay, of what is the common understanding of that community of a particular word that you see. You may see somebody, you know, called uh, Zahid in your dream. Now, what does Zahid mean in your community? Sometimes it could refer to that. Like, and, that and they got that from the verse of the Quran, verse uh, 199 of Surah Al-A'raf, Wa'mur bil-Urf, command and give your solutions and give your commands according to what's conventional. So they took it from that. Thereafter that, there were other scholars who focused on distribution of wealth. 
which is a very important aspect. Everybody has to deal with it. People die. So how is their wealth distributed? And they came out, you know, with the various different groupings from the, the verses in the Quran that relate to this. That became a science of ilmul faraid, right? Where you have the nisf and the thuluth and the rubu and the sudus and the thumun and, and so on and the awl and all the rest of, uh, all the rest of that. Thereafter that you had another group who took out all the wisdoms from the Quran, the hikam, right? The hikam, they took all of those and they extracted, extrapolated that out of the Quran. Then after that, mashallah, you had the people with poetic inclination, right? Rather than let the shaitan inspire them, right? Or whisper to them or misguide them or whatever. They looked in the Quran and they saw that the Quran is the most beautiful speech. So they benefited from the Quran in terms of the Quran style, its genre, its effect, its, uh, its, its uh, way of uh, providing meaning, its pro a way of presenting meaning, and so on and so forth. Right? Now you think, isn't that enough? There's also the people of Isharat. Now, uh, I think I discussed with you and gave you some ideas of Tafsir al-Ishari, where they looked into the deeper meanings. Right? And that probably comes in tafsir anyway, but they looked into the deeper meanings and the indications that are provided in the Quran towards various different things that are beyond the normal meaning. So they accept the normal meaning and then they provided that. That became, uh, from that they came up with uh, various different Sufi definitions, right? Sufi uh, nomenclature and uh, definitions like uh, fana and baqa and hudur and khawf and haiba and uns and wahsha and qabd and bast. Ex, you know, expansion, contraction, uh, familiarity, uh, feeling of disquietude, um, presence with Allah, fear, um, and uh, self-annihilation, and so on and so forth. All of this they can trace back to the Quran. And besides that, there's a whole list of other things that are mentioned in the Quran. So we don't have time to do that because we have to answer the questions. But um, if you want to learn the art of debate and dispute. You can learn that there are several debates mentioned in the Quran. For example, Ibrahim salam and Namrud, right? And Ibrahim salam with his own people. Then Musa salam and Pharaoh. There's all those debates. You learn from them. And I've learned a lot actually from the debate of Musa salam and Pharaoh. Okay? Uh, Subhanallah. And if you want to understand uh, uh, astronomy, then there's enough in the Quran to provide you glimpses of that. If you want to understand, I mean, they, they've shown verses that relate to all of this. Now, I, I don't have the time to go into all of this with you. But if you want engineering, if you want to study, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Iron Smith, right? Atuni Zubar al-Hadid, Surah Al-Kahf. Alanna lahu al-Hadid, Surah Al-Sabah. If you want to study building, there's lots of discussion of building, right? The, the Qawm, Aad, Thamud and so on. If you want to study um, carpentry, Wasna'il Fulka about Nuh salam in Hud salam uh, in Surah Al-Hud. If you want to talk about weaving, there's Naqadat Ghazlah in Surah Al-Nahal, there's Kamthal Al-Ankabut, Ittakhadat Bayta regarding the spider web. If you want to talk about farming, there's Afara'itum Ma Tahruthun is discussed there. Uh, hunting is mentioned in a number of verses. Uh, deep sea diving or just diving in general is mentioned is mentioned in Surah Al-Nahal if you want to speak about uh, forming and molding and things like that it says right, where they had taken the, uh, taken the gold of everybody the pharaohs uh, sorry the, the, the followers of Musa السلام, the tribe and then they had melted it down and to uh, formed it into a calf subhanallah 
there's discussion of glass making. Sarhum mumarradum min qawari. Surah Al-Naml verse 44. Then Al-Misbahu fi zujajatin. Surah Al-Nur verse 35. There is a discussion of firing bricks. فَأُوْقِدْ لِيَا هَامَنُ عَلَى الطِّينَ I gave you that example that instead of using the word brick, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used that in Surah Al-Qasas verse 38. There is discussion of seafaring. أَمَّا السَّفِينَةُ فَكَانَتْ لِمَسَاكِينَ Right in Surah Al-Kahf verse 79. There is about writing. عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمِ is there. Surah Al-Alaq verse 4. There is about bread making. أَحْمِلُ فَوْقَ رَأْسِي خُبْزًا Right about bread is mentioned in the Quran. That dream, the person with Yusuf alayhi salam in verse 36. Cooking, Bi'ijilin Hanid, where Ibrahim brings this roast, uh, you know, roast meat. Surah Hud, verse 69. Um, there's discussion about uh, clothes washing and dying. Wathiyabaka Fatahir, Surah Al Muddassir, verse 4. Qal al Hawariyun, Ali Imran, verse 52. Uh, there is discussion about butchering. Right, you know, slaughtering animals. Illa ma zakaytum, Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse three. There is many, many verses regarding buying and selling and trade and so on. I don't, I can't even go through all of them. Uh, then there is about uh, coloring. So Sibrat Allah, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 138. Judadun wa humurun mukhtalifun alwanuha wa gharabi basud. Surah Al-Fatir, verse 27. There is uh, regarding uh, stone smithing, which is وَتَنْحِتُونَ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ بُيُوتَ Surah Al-Shu'ara, verse 149. And there are a number of verses regarding measures and weights and uh, balance and all of that in a number of verses. Then shooting, وَمَا رَمَيْتَ Firing, وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى Surah Al-Anfal, verse 17. وَأَعِدُّ لَهُمْ مَا اسْتَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ قُوَّةِ Surah Al-Anfal, verse 60. And so on and so forth. So there's lots in the Quran, right? But you know, for, for people who come and say all science is found in the Quran, all that kind of stuff, I, uh, they say the Quran is a book of science. No, the Quran is not a book of science. Yes, there are scientific facts which are mentioned in there. But you can't say the Quran is a mathematical book or a science. It's a book of guidance. That's what the Quran is. But there are references to many, many things. Ornithology, wattayr. Well, uh, the, the, the ornithology, the discovery of, of birds, sorry, the, the science of uh, uh, study of birds. If you want to talk about uh, botany, that's mentioned in there because the number of flowers and uh, plants and everything are mentioned in the Quran. All of these things, there's reference to it. Every science will find something in there. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to round it off with that. Let me now take some questions from you. And uh, any questions that we can't do today, we can easily do them, inshallah, tomorrow. And I have something else for you uh, for tomorrow as well, inshallah. So let me take some of these questions. Number one, the first question I received a very long time ago towards the beginning is what are some of the other languages or discuss some of the other languages, the foreign words in the Quran, right? So now, firstly, Allah, uh, I, I just want to mention that there are verses in the Quran, sorry, there are words in the Quran from many languages, meaning whose words are originally from those languages. So you have lots of Hebrew words. You have lots of Syriac words. You have um, apparently some Hindi words. And uh, you have some Persian words for sure as well. You have some probably Turkic words and, and so on and so on. You have some Roman words. That's probably Latin, right? From Latin. And this is not something... Now, the, a question that some people may uh, ra ra raise here is that Allah says that we've revealed the Quran in Arabic. So what are foreign words doing in the Quran? That's kind of the objection that might come up here, if any, right? So that, that's a very simple idea. 
Firstly, the words that are used in Arabic, right? Sorry, in the Quran from other uh, from other languages. This is what every language does. I mean, in English right now, our English is made up of a number of uh, Germanic words, French words, Arabic words, al kuhl, al jebra. There's so many words from from English uh, uh, in English from Arabic as well. Every language does that. But the way that Arabic and Arabs have done that before as well, if you look at some of the famous poets who are considered to be, you know, Arabic, like good Arabic. Um, so I'll, I'll quote you one thing. Imra'ul Qais, who was one of the seven mu'allaqat, the seven, you know, celebrated poems before the Quran was revealed. He says, Muhafafatun bayda ghayru mufadatin wa taraibuha maskulatun kassajanjali. Sajanjal is a Roman term. So they were using those that had now become commonplace because this is what you happens when you have an interaction of people. right? And these were trading people, so they used to pick up these terms and it became normal. But the one thing in Arabic what they do right, is that they take the word and they never keep it the way it is. They take the concept of that word and they mold it into an Arab word form, an Arabic word form. Okay? It has to fall into one, if it's a verb, it has to fall into an Arabic word form, uh, a verb form. And if it's a noun, it, even nouns have forms, certain known forms. It has to go according to that. It's never going to stay in the other language. It's going to have to be according to that. And that's completely fine. It's not that many. Even from Abyssinian, there are words. So there's nothing wrong with that. And... It's only, um, you know, if anybody is going to raise an objection, I mean, who raised an objection? Nobody raised an objection at the time, you know, even though they so wanted to discredit the Quran, they could not produce anything like it, right? So they could have easily said, oh, but there's foreign words in here. This is not purely Arabic. But no, Allah was constantly saying, this is pure Arabic. This is in Arabic. This is in Arabic. And they accept because this was, the, the, this is natural. This is to have words from other languages that have now become Arabic, right? And are very much part and parcel of the Arabic language. It's completely fine. You have that in every language. Okay? So I'll just give you a few examples because there are hundreds of words. And mashallah, Imam Suyuti rahimahullah has, was one of the first to actually sell, he says one of the first to actually compile a whole list of this. And he's got, you know, there's, uh, I think there's more, more than a hundred words that he has in there. And he's mentioned some of them in his uh, in his book on Ulum al-Qur'an as well. So for example, Al-Ara'ik. Right, this is supposed to be Muttaki'ina fiha ala al-Ara'ik. Pavilions. Right, Ara'ik. Now of course that's been Arabicized. So every word in the Qur'an is going to have to be Arabicized at least. It won't be the original form. It'll be according to an Arabic form. They say that this is from Abyssinian. Then the word Azar. This is Ibra uh, the, the one who's supposed to be Ibrahim Aysman's father or uncle or whatever, saying that this obviously comes from another language as well, which is probably, um, I'm not sure what language they say this is from, right? But that's not originally Arabic. The word asbatan umama, asbata. According to Abu Layth in his tafsir, he says that this was from a different qabila. This is not from the tribe of Quraysh. This is from istabraq which is in Surah Al-Rahman, which is, you can say, uh, thick brocade. They say from the Haq that this comes from Persian, right? Then you got the concept of Asfara, right? This is from Syriac. Uh, Isri in Surah Ali Imran. This is from Nubian. Well, no, 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 not Nubian, Nabatian, right? Which was a precursor to the, in the Arabian Peninsula. The concept of Akwab, 
also Nabatian. And uh, Alim is apparently Hebrew. Okay. Um, there's hundreds of these. I mean, I can't. Um, there, there's quite a few. There's quite a few. There's tens of these words. So that that's an answer to that question. So there are uh, words, but they've been Arabicized and they're in Arab form as well. Okay. What else? What other questions did we have? Then we had another question, and I think I've already answered this the day after this question came in. The fact that the Prophet ﷺ continued to request for change to the Qur'an time and time again, does that not seem that he was paving away for the Qur'an to have many discrepancies later on for this Ummah, which uh, exactly happened at the time of the Qur'an? The Prophet ﷺ was not asking for change at all. Maybe that was a misunderstanding there, right? The Prophet ﷺ did not ask for any change. As I said, the Qur'an... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give certain commands and then he would abrogate them and then bring another command after it or upgrade that command like we discussed regarding Umar radiallahu anhu and the whole prohibition of wine issue. Now in many of these cases the verses continue to stay in there. Some verses were actually then taken out and removed as well by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa just managed this whole thing. But the point was that when the Prophet sallallahu passed away in his last year he had it confirmed and then it was it. It was very clear what was part of the Quran what was not part of the Quran. Right? So he's, basically the reason his brother is asking is saying that what's the wisdom behind what Rasulullah said? It was formation. That was the evolution of that, which we explained in great detail. But that was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah mentions it himself in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah. مَا نَنْسَخْ مِنْ آيَةٍ أَوْ نُنْسِهَا نَأْتِ بِخَيْرٍ مِنْهَا أَوْ مِثْلِهَا as you said, this request has caused Orient to find opportunities to mock the preservation of the Quran, its singularity without versions as to what happened in the Bible. I don't think they've had they've they, they've had that, but alhamdulillah, they've been responded to and they've not been able to gain much traction. That's a good thing. Whereas with the Bible, it's full discrepancies, right? Because the problem with the Bible is that we don't have the original Bible anymore. Whereas Allah has preserved the original Quran in the form it is, and that's been agreed upon. Whereas with the Bible, you've got mostly translations today. You know, Latin translations, Greek translations, and then probably now Hebrew. But you don't have the original Aramaic of the Bible. And then it's actually the various different books are transmitted by people afterwards. So they're actually transmissions of what Jesus did. What's the original words of Jesus is very difficult to find. That's the thing. The entire Bible, the New Testament, only discusses about 50 days of Jesus' life. Right? Uh, if, you, if you were to sum it up together. So it's very, very different. Right. And look, at the end of the day, we can't stop people from having doubt. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said that he's going to have some people destroyed by it through the Quran and some people elevated through the Quran. So there's going to be that fitna element there. That's just the word. If Allah wanted everybody to be in one way, could have had that. I mean, the same question would apply that. Why didn't he just leave us in paradise? You know, that we could have just... But this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted that challenge so that we can stay on our feet and on our toes and learn and we know what we're doing and we can defend it. We've got something to do, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the... Right. Um, I find it difficult to explain the concept of variance of the Quran to the anti-Islamists who used to attack. I mean, I mean, I tried my best. There's lots of other articles on there. I mean, you know, if you go back to the lesson on the seven huruf and so on, inshallah, you will find something in there. Uh, mashallah, there's one sister who and she pointed out that Surah Maryam. Now, I mentioned that I think there's only two... Uh, you know, every time where it's huruf muqatta'at, alif la meem, tasim meem, so on... Um, one of the ideas was that it's actually one of the names of the surah because constantly after it, nearly in every single place except two, I think surah al one was alif uh, lamim right, which is I think surah al-anfal, and the other one was uh, I forget which verse, it, uh, which surah it is, where I think I mentioned that there's just two which 
don't have which don't follow up those those letters with a discussion of the Quran right because all the others I think there's 29 or so all of them do except two I mentioned actually there seems to be a third one which eluded me that's Surah to Maryam Unless, why some scholars did not include that is because he's saying that this dhikru rahmati rabbika, remembering the Lord, your Lord's mercy on Zakaria when he said. So maybe he's saying that because this has been mentioned to you from the Quran, but there's no direct reference to the Quran there. So Jazakallah khair for pointing that out. And that's the kind of people I like who can point these kind of things out and we can clarify the discrepancies. Another person had asked about the satanic verses. Now the satanic verses is a subject and I don't want to prematurely discuss that because there are many views about what exactly happened at that time and what the pretty much agreement has become of all the latest scholars as to what exactly happened. Um, that's something I'm going to try to do separately one day, inshallah, in a separate session, and we'll put that up. So I'm not going to try to do it as part of this, because I think it's um, it's quite a controversial piece, and it's quite delicate, and it needs to be dealt and handled with care, and I don't want to have to rush it in the time that we have. So I'm hoping, inshallah, to do that in the future. And the other question that I had was, can you explain all the numbers and marks and uh, on the pages of the Mus'haf. Now that is, if you're listening, if you can tell me which Mus'haf you're referring to, but what I can do tomorrow, inshallah, since we have a session tomorrow, is we will, I'll take one or two Mus'hafs and I will try to go through that and, and show it to you, inshallah, because, um, yeah, we don't have, uh, I'll leave that for tomorrow, I don't want to rush it. What work we can do to contribute? Um, I'm going to try to have some more ideas tomorrow, but Alhamdulillah, do ever, anything related to the Quran. Get the knowledge of the Quran, learn it yourself first, and then express it to others. Alhamdulillah, I can say that from what I know already, from last year's Tafsir program, Alhamdulillah, it actually inspired one young scholar, mashallah, one young, uh, he just graduated two, three years ago, but and he started just studying the Quran for himself, opening up four or five, Arabic tafsir is in front of him and mashallah what he started then doing was he started just jotting down with every word or every few words the clearest meaning he could find right and so now mashallah he's done uh, I think most of the uh, most of the 30 parts have been done now and he hopes to publish it soon so it's going to be like more of a simplified Arabic tafsir of the Quran right in the simplest form just to help people read it along MashaAllah, it's done very, very well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it and allow it to be completed. Then there's another scholar who, MashaAllah, was inspired to um, write uh, summaries in English. So he's working on a juz a month or something like that, and he hopes to have that completed. May Allah help him in that as well. I would say, we, uh, I'm going to see if I can have some more, inshallah, more concrete suggestions for you tomorrow, because that's a very good idea. So uh, tune in tomorrow, inshallah. We'll discuss that more tomorrow as to what we can do and the various different options, inshallah. Okay, jazakallah khair. Uh, again, if you have any further questions, please post them for tomorrow. Uh, if you post, if you email us them, it'll be easier so we can actually have them checked out because uh, tomorrow's our last session, inshallah. Allah bless you all. Jazakallah khairan. Uh, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, you know, we've got this one day left of Ramadan. So... 
uh, one or more days, you know, depending on when you started and finish, uh, to to take some more blessing and barakah. Allah has extended it for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the best of the rest of the days. Please remember us in your du'as as well. And may Allah give you the best. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.